0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. I promise that I am going to get back to Hebrews, uh, and I plan on doing that next week. But since we're having the Lord's Supper today, and since Hebrews 5 and 6 is one of the more difficult parts of the book of Hebrews, and the New Testament for that matter, I figured we needed maximum time for that, so uh, I pushed it back another week. So you'll forgive me, but... We're going to keep on with the theme of the resurrection and and think about some of the, the especially one, uh, appearance of Jesus to his disciples, particularly Thomas today. But we're going to start in John 20, 19, where Jesus appears to the disciples after he is risen from the dead. John 20, 19 through 31. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Doubting Thomas. That's a characterization with which we are all familiar. Even those who have never been to church have heard the term Doubting Thomas, of someone who is skeptical But certainly Thomas gets a bad rap with that moniker, uh, Doubting Thomas, because at the end of the account we just read, he's certainly not in doubt anymore. In fact, he makes the most complete and in-depth statement of faith that you will find anywhere in the Bible when he says, To and of Jesus, my Lord and my God. Not doubting Thomas, but believing Thomas for sure. In fact, it's such a great statement that John puts this account of Thomas as the climax of his book. This is important because verse 30 tells us that John has been very selective in what he has included in his gospel account. If you look at verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. See, yes, this book uh, that John wrote is a historical account. Uh, everything is true. It did happen. But it's not a complete history. John is not simply recording for us a, a, a complete record of Jesus' life. In fact, if you add up all the days John does record in his gospel, it only adds up to like 21 or 22 days of Jesus' life. And at the end of the book, if you flip over to John 21-25, he reiterates this same thing. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So what we see here is that John sat down and he picked, de- he picked out certain episodes in Jesus' life, very selective, and he's selective in order to prove a point. He's got an agenda. He's writing these occurrences and he tells you exactly why he's doing it. Verse 31 of chapter 20. These that I have written, these that are written, they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this book, John's Gospel, is an apologetic for Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. So John is demonstrating here that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he wants you to believe in him so that you will have eternal life. So chapter 20 is the climax of the book of John, and then chapter 21 is just an epilogue where John ties up a few loose ends. And and the pinnacle here in verse in chapter 20 is Thomas saying it out loud, My Lord and my God. John is wanting us to understand that. And he's underlining it with Thomas's great confession of faith. Now, if you think about it, just is just a brief aside here, when you if you were making up uh, a story, if you, like many people claim, that the disciples made this all up. You would never write it like this. The climax of your story is one of the disciples, one of the closest followers of Jesus, doesn't believe that he rose from the dead. You wouldn't write that, would you? I mean, this is, that, that's not how you would make it up. But it's written that way because that's how it happened. John's recording it for us. Now, why is this also important? this doubter. John is making some points, not that Thomas was doubting Thomas, but first of all that Thomas was an apostle and then secondly that Thomas was a Christian and those are the two points I want to highlight this morning because they have implications for us today. First we see that John is trying to show us that Thomas is an apostle and and some implications that we can draw from that. Verses 19 through 23 record record for us where Jesus appears to the disciples. Uh, And he commissions them. He says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he reads on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. However, Thomas was not there. We don't know why Thomas was not there. Where was he? It doesn't tell us. But he, if you look at verse 24, he goes out of his way to show us that Thomas wasn't there and that he was indeed one of the twelve. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So John is giving us a a bit of information here. He wants us to see. We're just told that he's missed this important meeting, but he is indeed one of the twelve. And we know this is an important meeting because verse 20 says, he showed him them his hands and his sides, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He revealed himself to them, the risen Christ. And that's important because in order to be an apostle, and the word apostle means one who is sent, one who is sent out to be a witness of the resurrection in this case. You had to be a witness to the resurrection in order to be an apostle. When the uh, apostles were replacing Judas in the early chapters of Acts, Acts one, it's they're trying to decide who's who they're going to choose. Uh, One of them said, one of them it it says uh, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. See, the qualifications for being an apostle, you have to be a witness to the resurrection. So if you're watching late night television and there's somebody on there preaching away and his title is apostle so-and-so, he's not an apostle. Not with a biblical definition of apostle. You have to be a witness to the resurrection. Now Paul was an apostle, but he was not one of the twelve. However, he makes this a point in 1 Corinthians 15... He says there, I delivered to you as a first important what I also received, that the, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul can be an apostle because the risen Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So Thomas had to physically see Jesus in order to be an apostle. Now why? Why is this so so important? Why is it important to see Jesus? Well, it takes us to the very nature of the gospel. The good news is what the word gospel means. It's the good news of Jesus. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not what he taught. It's what he did. It's what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. What happened in history? God became man and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death, and he rose from the grave, and he is alive forevermore. So the gospel is what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection in order to save sinners such as you and I. He did the work for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And we see this stressed in the New Testament. Just a couple of examples. Acts four thirty-three. It tells us about the, the apostles. Uh, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. What were they talking about? They were talking about the fact that Jesus was alive and that had, had defeated death and had risen from the grave. And when John writes his epistle, 1 John, he begins it this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So see, John is concerned about all the things they experienced, the things that they had touched and seen, from the very beginning, probably meaning from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Now, see, there are many people today who say that Jesus was just one of the many great teachers the world has produced. However, if Christianity is simply following the teachings of Christ, then there would have been no need for Christ to die or resurrected. We could have just followed his teachings. It would not have been important for Thomas or the other apostles to see Jesus risen. That would also mean that Jesus is no different than any other dead religious teacher in the world, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, etc. Jesus didn't come to give you a set of rules for you to follow in order to get salvation from God. No, Jesus did something he came to earth to gain salvation for us through his life his death and his resurrection he died and rose again in our place to achieve salvation for us and he wants to give it to us as a free gift so can you see how this means that if you take away the resurrection then christianity is disemboweled if christ just died a death like anyone else and remained in the grave then he did not have victory over sin and death. That's the Paul, point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is proclaimed, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then this is all pointless. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. That's about the strongest statement as you can make about it. Now, this is one reason why John places so much importance on this episode with Thomas. Thomas is an apostle, and the apostles were the first witnesses of the resurrection, and they are the foundation of the church. Paul makes this point in Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The prophets pointed to Christ. They, They talked about the coming Messiah. And the apostles witnessed the Messiah. They witnessed his life. They witnessed his death. And they witnessed his resurrection from the grave. Jesus appeared for 40 days to the disciples, to the apostles, and to many others... And then he ascended to heaven. And the God-man sits at the right hand of the Father. And their testimony to the resurrection is the foundation of the church. And the question you need to be asking yourself is this. Do you believe the testimony of the apostles? Look at verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas is rebuked here by Jesus. Why? He's rebuked because he did not believe the testimony of his fellow apostles. He said, I'll never believe unless I touch him and see him. So, what does Jesus do? He reveals himself to Thomas. Look at my wounds, he says, and Thomas believes. Maybe you, like Thomas, are having trouble believing today. Well, look at his wounds. That's what Thomas did. He saw the wounds. You can't physically see them like Thomas did, of course, but you can see them with your mind's eye in the words of the apostles. And as Jesus said, you will will be blessed if you believe the testimony of the apostles. So it was important for Thomas to be one of those who testified to the resurrected Christ. And it's important for us to believe in the testimony of Thomas and his fellow Apostles. Now, second of all, Thomas was not only an apostle, but he was a Christian as well. Thomas shows us very clearly what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus appears there to Thomas and the other disciples, Jesus speaks to him personally. Verse 27 He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus knows about his doubts. Even though he wasn't there physically they, when, when the apostles were telling Thomas about all this, but he knows. Jesus knows the same about you. He, Jesus knows where, are you, where you are struggling to believe that he is gracious. He says, touch me, Thomas, see my scars. Do not disbelieve, but believe. But Thomas doesn't even touch Jesus. He doesn't tell us that he did He just immediately cries out, My Lord and my God. If you look at classical art, uh, many paintings of this scene with Jesus in the room with the disciples and with Thomas specifically, and, and most of those pictures has Thomas poking his fingers in Jesus' side or touching his scarred hands. But the text doesn't say that he did that. Jesus offers that to him, And Thomas immediately cries out, my Lord and my God. Maybe he touched him, who knows, but I I like to think that he didn't need to. He saw Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him, and he makes this profession of faith, the highest profession of faith by any human being in the Bible. And it sums up very succinctly what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who can say with sincerity to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Two things we need to notice here. What Thomas says is doctrinal and it's personal. It's doctrinal, yes. It's, it, there's truth here. He is, his confession has content. It's telling what he believes. Sometimes people will say, I don't need any doctrine. Just give me Jesus. Well, that's a... That's a doctrinal statement in and of itself. And everybody's got doctrine. You believe something. You can't not believe anything. You, you have to believe something. There has to be some content to what you believe, and that's what doctrine is. It's inescapable. You're all believing something. Now, when people say that, I don't need doctrine, just, just give me Jesus, that's not a terrible statement to make because... People who say that, and it's an anti-intellectual statement, but they're usually reacting to hyper-intellectualism, where people's con- the content of their faith is all in their head, and there's no heart to it. See, there, there's no there's no warmth. It's all just facts. And Presbyterians are very guilty of that. Sometimes we can be very heady and intellectual about things we're all about theology but is there heart to it do we embrace it with our hearts we'll talk more about that in a moment but what thomas says here is great doctrine jesus is lord and god these things are true whether we believe them or not i mean he the fact of the matter is he is lord and god and just because you or someone else denies it doesn't make it untrue Jesus is the Lord of lords. That's a Hebrew expression. Uh, We we see it in things like uh, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, the Hebrew Hebrew title is actually the Song of Songs. It's the very best song. Uh, When we say that someone is the King of kings and Lord of lords, we mean they're the ultimate king, the ultimate Lord. Jesus is the ultimate Lord, and one day everyone will affirm it whether willingly or unwillingly. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Paul tells us in Philippians. There will be no doubt. And Jesus is also God. If you look at his life and what the apostles tell us about the miracles only someone with divinity could do, uh, his statements, for example... When he's arguing with the religious leaders he's, and they're arguing about being children of Abraham and he says, be- before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because they thought he was blaspheming because they knew he was claiming to be God. And then he walks away. But that's exactly what Jesus was claiming. He is the Son of God. So Thomas is giving us some great doctrine here. But being a Christian, as I said before, is more than just doctrinal knowledge. It's a personal faith. Look, what, look at Thomas' heart here. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And see, he's affirming that Jesus is his Lord and his God. Jesus is his, his, his Lord. Three things, just in conclusion here. Why should Jesus be your Lord and God? First, well, look at his wounds Look, Thomas did. Look at his wounds. He came and he died in your place. He died for sinners such as we all are. He's a God that is at your service, a God who loves unconditionally, and he doesn't want you to remain in your sin. He wants to free you from the guilt of sin and from the power and bondage of sin and ultimately free you from the very presence of sin. Sin is the worst thing that's happened in this world. It's the worst thing that happens in your life. It destroys you. But Jesus has died in order to free you from that. So look at his wounds. And then look at his resurrection. He's conquered death. And because he's conquered death, as we said last week, he's got the keys to death in Hades We can have eternal life. We can live forever with him. Now as your Lord, yes, he's going to require that you take up your cross and follow him and and deny yourself and die to yourself daily. And that's difficult. It's often difficult to obey and follow someone else. But the fact of the resurrection promises that every death we experience to ourselves, whether it is dying to Self or even physically dying, Jesus guarantees that our deaths will result in new life and resurrection because he's the first fruits of those who are rising from the dead. And then drop your conditions. You know, Thomas had his conditions. He said, I'll never believe unless I touch him and so forth. But Thomas didn't even need that. He, he dropped those conditions when he saw the Savior. You know, if you say, well, I'll only believe if this happens, or I'll only believe under these conditions, then you're actually serving those conditions. That's, that's what's most important to you. And Jesus can't be your Lord and your God if those other things are more important. So drop your conditions and come to him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the Lord. He is God. Embrace him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Thomas and his confession of faith. that shows us the way, Lord, and we pray that we would all embrace you as our Lord and our God Lord, we often live as if we were the Lord and we want to play God. We pray that you would forgive us. Lord, help us to see the error of our ways, what a mess we make of things when we play God, when we want to lord it over our own lives. We, we go in the wrong direction and we end up hurting ourselves and others and you. So, Lord, forgive us, change our hearts, help us to embrace you as our Lord and our God and submit to you in everything. And we thank you, Lord, for the great salvation that you have secured in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.